uh, the Lord laid upon my heart to share with you a story uh, which is an extra-biblical story. It's, it comes out of real life, uh, which was first printed several years ago in the MB Herald, that's the Mennonite Brethren Monthly uh, Report, and was later reprinted with permission by Western Tract Mission, which is now, I think, called Impact Canada. But you can find this story entitled Corporate Forgiveness uh, actually online uh, on the internet. And so if you're interested in revisiting that story after today, uh, you might want to go on the internet and find out Corporate Forgiveness, Western Tract Mission, and you'll find the story. So here goes. Uh, the newly appointed executive director of a large manufacturing plant in Ontario, responsible for 486 employees, met with all his managers and announced that suggestion boxes would be placed in various locations throughout the plant and offices to seek input from employees. Day after day, he personally checked each box, but no suggestions were submitted. Finally, three weeks later, the first suggestion appeared. It was typed without signature, and it read, everyone is afraid to make suggestions, but if you really do have good intentions, then consider the following suggestion. Please empty all the employees' files of all the negative notes written by supervisors in the past, and let's start over, because many of us have now matured a little. If you do this, I know I will be a better employee, and I think that some of the other people will too. The executive director read this note over and over that evening. He had it memorized before bedtime. His wife suggested that he could empty the files of the employees of all the negative notes provided they made an appointment with him to request it, simply and direct. No one would have to beg. All they would have to do is to ask. The very next day, the secretary prepared a memo on official company letterhead, and he hand-delivered it to all 486 employees. The memo read, a suggestion has been submitted in one of the suggestion boxes. It was approved without hesitation. The suggestion is that all employees' personal performance files be purged of all negative comments, events, and issues. No questions asked. Please call my secretary and make an appointment to see me. You and I will remove all items that are negative from your file, leaving you with a clean slate. I can assure you there is no hidden agenda. Just come and talk with me. I look forward to meeting with you, and together we will remove all unwanted notes and comments. And then in parenthesis, by the way, thank you for this interesting suggestion. John R. J. Emerson, Executive Director. 
Well, four weeks passed before the first appointment was made. An employee in her 22nd year was the first to request an appointment. Within 10 minutes, her personal file was emptied of all unwanted comments, and she walked out of the office a renewed employee. She quickly passed the word on to other employees, and soon others cautiously approached John's office. All who made appointments to speak with him walked out of his office knowing that their personal file was free of the past history of negative actions or poor performances. But to Mr. Emerson's amazement and disappointment, 57.17% of the employees, that is 273 out of the 486 people, never made an appointment to see him in the two years that amnesty program was available. He commented, perhaps employees are too proud, too intimidated, or just do not believe that all they have to do is come and talk to me. I am disappointed to think that some of these valuable employees may actually not really care. So when I read this story again, and I have it in the form of a gospel tract, uh, I could not help but think of our situation at Hawkwood right now as we start a new chapter in our history with a new pastor, Pastor Kent and, and Elaine coming to uh, serve us starting next uh, Sunday. Would it not be helpful if we as a congregation would decide to let bygones be bygones and uh, extend to each other forgiveness and grace uh, to one another for any hurtful attitudes or actions over the past few years. Uh, I'm not thinking of any specific things. I'm just simply saying, you know, let's make a fresh start. And by God's grace and with his help, let's make a fresh start under new management, just like that company was trying to do. And in that spirit, let me first of all be the first to apologize and to ask your forgiveness if there's any way in which over the last number of months or years I have offended anybody. Sometimes in the heat of discussion, uh, we say things or our facial expressions are such that people may take offense. And if that has happened, please talk to me. Uh, because as we move forward, I plan to be part of what's going on in the future, knowing that this will be Pastor Kent's ministry, not mine. But I want to be part of a congregation and feel that we're in this thing together moving forward. So. Let me be the first one to ask you for forgiveness, and, and please speak to me if there is any way in which I need to make amends. But having said that, let's get into the Word, and in the next little bit, let's unpack what we find in, in front of us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, because in this biblical text, I find that Paul begins by talking about God's provision for holy living. And that's who we are called to be and what we are called to do. And so in, in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians, he says, Since then, the basis of his discussion here is an established fact. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
So our hearts ought to be engaged with what God is doing because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And because he was raised, we were raised with him into a beautiful, wonderful relationship, a new life experience with God through Christ. So set your hearts on things above, not on things on the earth. And verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So the heart is where the seat of emotions was uh, deemed to be as far as the Hebrew uh, concept is concerned. And the mind is the kinds of thoughts we think, the kinds of things that go through our minds. And sometimes you can't stop that. Like a, a friend of mine used to say, you know, it's these thoughts come into your mind and, and you have to deal with them, but you have to choose what you're going to do. He says you cannot avoid, uh, you know, the, the seagulls from flying over your head but you can certainly stop them from building a nest in your hair. And sometimes when bad thoughts comes, we need to surrender them to God and ask his forgiveness and ask for cleansing. And so he says, because you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Identify with Jesus. Have your heart set on things above. Have your minds set on those same heavenly things. So that's the provision that he has made for our holy living, that we have access into the very presence of God. And we don't have to do it in our own strength. The Holy Spirit allows us and helps us to do that. And then he has some practical advice in verses 5 to 8 when he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You see, have your minds and your hearts set on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And he says you need to mortify, put to death whatever is part of your earthly nature. And then he has a list of things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is like an idolatry because greed means that your heart is set on something other than what God has in mind. And so greed becomes an idolatrous experience. And so he says, uh, not only do you need to give those things, uh, put those things to death because of these, the wrath of God is coming and you don't want to fall under God's wrath once you have been cleansed by Jesus. But in verse 7 and 8, he goes on, you used to walk in these ways. That's all of us as unconverted natural people. That would be the milieu. That's, that's, the, that's how the world lives. But he says, as believers, we're not to be like that because we've been changed. It's not only salvation, it's transformation that takes place when we become believers. So he says, now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And these are the things that we sometimes excuse. These are the things, like sexual immorality, most Christians realize that that's not for Christians, right? That's for the world. That's how the world lives. And all the preoccupation right now in the world with all the uh, gender confusion issues, that's how the world lives. We recognize that's not God's plan for us. But we have a little problem with some of these other, what, what we may call lesser sins. And so he talks about anger and ra rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Elsewhere, the Bible tells us, you, out of the same well can there be sweet and bitter water. How can there be cursing 
when there's also praising of God coming forth from us. And the idea of anger, rage, malice, those are all things that we say, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have been angry if he hadn't done, if she hadn't. If, and we're always very quick to point at somebody else as the cause. In fact, I have, I have learned not to say, you make me angry. Because you're not the person who makes me angry. I get angry. So I, I, I express it. You know, it makes me angry when I hear you say that. That's restating it, but it puts the onus on me because my bad handling of the circumstance is that I become angry. And anger, wrath, malice, all of those things are things he says we need to get rid of. And if we can't do it in our own strength, we need to ask God to help us, to cleanse us from that. Lord, help me not to use your name in vain. Lord, help me not to ex express my anger in this way. And then he tells us on top of that, that the power to do that is not from us. It is God's power, verses 9 to 11. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. It's like taking off a jacket or a coat. Get rid of it because you've divested yourself of it and you have put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the fact that, you know, I, I, just this, this week I mentioned to somebody, uh, during the revival time back in the uh, early 70s, I, I used to have a button on my lapel that says, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. And it just acknowledges the fact that, hey, I'm a failing human being. And as much as I want to live a godly life, sometimes I slip back into the old habits and so I need to identify that and recognize that. But he says, you know, you have put on the new self, which is a renewal, the transformation that comes with salvation through Jesus, and you are being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, namely God himself. And here, in this new condition, there is neither Gentile or Jew, neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. All the natural differences that we have in this life that we are so prone sometimes to emphasize, he says, they're all gone. Because in Christ, we're all one. We're all the same. He says, Christ is all and in all. And so I have to re remind myself that the person that I may be getting angry with is my brother or sister in the Lord. And, and, and I have an obligation to recognize that we're part of the same family. And I dare not violate God's command to love one another as he has loved us. Pastor Doug Peoples, who was... Uh, one of the favorite pastors in the history of our church here. He served our congregation for 12 years. Good friend of mine because I used to live just down in Hawkwood, um, you know, a few steps away from here. And uh, uh, he always used to say, not only to the congregation, because I know he said that many times, but he also used to say it among pastors. He says, guys, let's remember, how we treat each other is how we treat Jesus. 
And he was referring to the fact, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And every one of us is a little Christ as a Christian. And how we treat each other, we're actually treating Jesus. Let's remember that. So therefore, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, the work of transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit. But he says there is some effort on our part that is also required. He says you need to, uh, as, as, as God's chosen people, clothe yourself And then the things that he mentions, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, doesn't that sound like part of the list of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23, where where Paul tells the Galatian believers uh, that what you produce naturally are all these things that we need to get rid of because that's our natural tendency, our unconverted self. But when he, the Spirit of God, is at work in you, he will produce in you love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, etc., etc. That's, that's pretty, pretty much the same list that he is uh, giving here to the Colossians here. It's an, an abbreviated list, but it's in the same spirit. And he says, when you do that, then you're in a position to bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The overriding principle in the family of God ought to be a spirit of love, of caring for one another. Of, of holding each other uh, as more valued than ourselves. And so we live our lives on behalf of God's people within the family of God and encourage each other to move forward together in this way. And it says, over all these virtues, and these are virtues that only the Spirit of God can produce, put on love. And this is agape love. That's the kind of love that only God can give us. It's not what comes natural, because what comes natural from the moment we're born is self-centeredness. You know, when a little baby starts squawking, uh, whether they're wet and they need to be diapered, or whether they're hungry and they need need to be fed, you know about it. And it's all about satisfying that need, because that's not going to stop crying until you finally do something about it. And some people have a hard time with that. Grace and I were very blessed because our babies were very content, and uh, we, we really, I, I don't think we ever spent a night where we were walking all night with a child. But my younger brother's uh, children were wired differently. They were colicky, and they hardly ever stopped crying. Didn't ma- matter how much stuff you stuffed into their face, they just kept <coughs> and crying. And he literally would have to take them in a car and drive around the block and drive around the block until they finally fell asleep and then move them gently so that they wouldn't wake up again because otherwise you'll start the whole cycle again. Who taught the children that? Nobody. It comes natural. And uh, when you have children two, three years old, unless they have been well taught already, 
You know, what's mine is very important. Don't you touch this. I grew up with a younger cousin, and I used to hate to visit their place because you could never touch any of his toys without him crying, and I was the older one, and I should be the wiser one. At least that's what my parents told me. And so I was always in trouble. And sometimes he would even cry when I didn't touch him. Uh, and he just seemed to enjoy the power he had, you know, by his wailing over, over me. So he says we need to be careful that within the family of God we don't act like the world. Upstage each other. Put each other down. Speak negatively of people. Uh, earlier on, he talked about gossiping, being part of that issue that we need to lay aside. So the question is, so what? So what? Paul suggests there's three simple ingredients here for a healthier relationship within the faith community. These are positive steps that we can determine by God's grace and with his help to move forward in through mutual forgiveness. And he says, first of all, we, we require the right attitude. He says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. I've learned in a very practical way that when we are thankful for what God has given us, we are less inclined to be greedy for more. We are less inclined to focus on the fact that the Joneses have more than we have. It's not about that. It's about living in the abundance of what God has already provided and enjoying it to the full. And I have learned a long, long time ago, God is no debtor to anyone. If you're generous, if you spend both your life your energy, your abilities, and your finances freely. God will more than match it. In fact, I've told a number of you when you said, well, Pastor Sig, why don't you retire? You know, interestingly enough, you know what the devotional is this morning in the Daily Bread? God's plan for retirement. So I read it. What is it all about? Moses at age 80 not going into retirement, but being called to be the leader of Israel out of Egypt. And he had his hands full. That, that's God's plan of retirement. I love that. I love that. My kids tell me I flunked retirement, but, you know, that's their perspective. But I have learned that when you spend yourself on behalf of God and God's people, God more than makes up. For it. You cannot outgive God in any way. So be thankful, but at the same time, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, which means that everything that comes at you, put it through the filter of how would Jesus respond to this. Lord, help me to do that well. The second step, he says, is we need to have a solid foundation. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Once again, gratitude, thankfulness, 
is the motivating force behind it all. But he says, you allow the word of Christ to dwell richly in your life, in your heart, teaching and admonishing, holding each other accountable to do the right thing, to do that which is God's plan for your life rather than your own ideas. And he says we do that by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Unfortunately, one of the tensions in our congregation is style of worship. We have two congregations. The moment you have two worship services that are different, you actually have two congregations within one building. There's nothing wrong with that if we recognize it, but we ought not to be competing with each other. We, we ought not to argue with, with each other because you know what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that's what they do a lot in the second verse, the second chat, uh, service. And, and, and you know what? More power to them. And let's learn some of those as well because some of them are just simply scripture set to music and we need to embrace all of that even though we prefer the hymns and perhaps the psalms in, in, this, in this way. So he says the solid foundation is the word of God. It is, it is, again, that peace that comes from having a right relationship with Jesus, verse 16. And then he says we also need to have the right focus. Whatever you do, doesn't matter what it is you do within the kingdom's uh, family, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Did you see the underlying theme? Thanksgiving, gratitude, giving thanks to God as you exercise whatever spiritual gifts and abilities and, and time commitment and, and financial resources God has blessed you with. Because you know what? They're not yours. My, my bank account doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. I'm a steward of what he has entrusted to me. When you take that attitude, and I, I see Jolene sitting here, she does, she does taxes for people. You know, when you take that attitude, it's a little easier to give my fair share to the, to the government because it's not my money in the first place. It's God's money. And so we do what we need to do in order to respect and honor the Lord who has not only created us, but who has endowed us with the ability to earn, has given us a job so that we could actually make money, has given us the ability and the health and the strength to be able... None of that comes because we are so great. It's because he is so great. And he has given his greatness, his strength, his power, his spirit, his love to us to be expressed on his behalf. So having the candidating process behind us, and for some of us that was a lengthy period, and for others it, 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 it went too fast. But as we go forward... As a congregation, our primary concern needs to be not what do I want, not does this serve me well, but rather what do we collectively believe is God's will for our church at this particular time in the history of the congregation. The two things that I would suggest we need to remind ourselves. Number one, individually we need to claim 1 John 1, 9 daily. That's the verse that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to do that 
on a daily basis, uh, sometimes even three, four times in the day, because as soon as we become aware of having stepped out of line, we need to confess and ask God's forgiveness. Secondly, corporately, as a congregation, we need to apply Colossians 3, verses 13 and 14 liberally, because that's where he tells us to bear with each other, to forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance of any kind against anyone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Treat others the way you wish God would treat you when you've stepped out of line. If we keep those principles in mind as we enter into the next phase of pastoral relationship, um, we definitely will be able to find and to maintain the unity of the Spirit uh, in the bond of peace as a congregation. So once again, accept my sincere apologies if I have offended anyone. Please feel free to talk to me if there's any way I need to be make amends because I I want to be part of a congregation that moves forward through mutual forgiveness and through the grace of God. And I believe we need to go even further than that because over the next number of months and perhaps years, we need to be emphasizing discipleship training, leadership development, ministry multiplication because the best is yet to come. And I look forward to what God is going to do if you and I are willing to allow his Holy Spirit to work fully in our hearts and lives.